Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People, an intentionally inclusive hub of sex-positive resources. I'm your host, Courtney Brain, and I want to thank Waxo for the ongoing support of this podcast and for allowing me to promote the podcast, talk about STIs and herpes stigma all over their platform. Visit www.waxo.com, and you can see a recent article I contributed to. Um, It's about five ways to have a healthy friends with benefits situation. Um, There are very good points there, and I'm a little bit nervous about having shared my own experience with a friend with benefits that I had and um, how awesome that relationship was, don't get me wrong, but it's just a little bit more intimate about my personal life than I usually get, even for the podcast. But there's just something about writing it versus saying out loud that makes it a little bit easier. But then in hindsight, you're like, oh my God, so many people are going to see this. (laughs) So I enjoy writing it and sharing that experience. And I believe in friends with benefit situations when things are intentional, when there's transparency, and when there's ongoing communication and just checking in with one another. So you can see the full details there again at waxo.com. This episode of Something Positive for Positive People features Emily Arnstein, and she is about body positivity. As you listen to this, you'll just get a feel for it. You'll know exactly why this is titled what it is. I want to add a trigger warning in here because we do talk a little bit about domestic abuse. And um, if you need to protect yourself, I understand you don't have to listen to the episode. Or if you get around that part and you need to take a break, please do whatever you need to do in order to take care of yourself. If you like this episode, please rate, review, and share this podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on, please, 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 please leave us a review. It helps us get promoted. Um, There is temporarily going to be a survey up. If you're listening to this before July 24th, um, it will do so much for us if we can get you to answer two questions survey monkey the link is going to be in the show notes and um, i'll have the link on my instagram page through july 24th 25th i'm collecting data about um people's experience when they're diagnosed so when you're diagnosed if you experience any of the emotions that are listed on the survey and then just explain in a short answer how something positive for positive people the podcast helped you through that or with that and gathering that data is going to help me with a very big thing that I have coming up and I'll share more information about it in the event that I find out I'm able to go but it's called STD Engage if you want to google it and if you check you'll see exactly why this is such a great fit for something positive for positive people. So I got my fingers crossed. I'm just hoping for um, a lot of responses to this survey. I really only need 100 and we're halfway there already. I just posted it yesterday. So thank you so much for everyone who has been engaging and supportive here. Um, and if I've helped you in any way, again, just through the podcast, please, please, please submit that survey. I hope you enjoy this episode with Emily Arnstein. Stay sex positive. There was something that you posted online about a negative interaction that you had with someone dating. You were like, uh, you didn't feel the connection there. And after saying this, he just kind of went off the rails about how you look. You remember that? Yeah. Initially, you know, we went on the date and I just didn't feel a connection. Like nothing really bad happened. It just was that, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I'm not as attracted to him as I thought I was going to be, or the chemistry wasn't there. And so after the date, uh, he texted pretty soon after and was like, when can we meet?
to him just say, I didn't feel a connection, I'm sorry. And he kept asking like a lot of questions about why, and I was like, there's no reason why, I just don't feel a connection. Um, because nothing bad happened, so there was no reason for it to be, you know, this reason, that reason, this reason. It was just, sometimes you just don't feel it. And he took it as an opportunity to be like, well, you're just a dumb white bitch, blah, blah, blah. And it, and it was like, why are, why are we throwing, why are we using the B word? Why are we throwing race into this? And I was, it just had nothing to do with my comment. And I, I think we went back and forth several times to just handle it. Like he kept asking me more questions and I was trying to give him the same general answer. And he just was really upset about it. Uh, and when you say that there wasn't a connection, what are we talking? Because I just had a dating coach on here recently and we talked about, uh, chemistry. We didn't use the word connection. We just used the word chemistry, which we've identified as like this, this spark of things that sometimes aren't necessarily good for us, but they're like very short term, like, ah, this is great. This is amazing. But that chemistry doesn't seem to really be sustainable long term. So when you say connection, what do you mean? Was there any sign at all that would have let you know that he was the kind of person who would just go off on you because he didn't get what he wanted? In hindsight, there might have been something about his personality that I could have predicted he would go off. And I say that because I've been in uh, I've been in one severely abusive relationship and then a couple sort of like more emotional um, abuse and Typically, people that do go off in that way uh, also are very clingy. Uh, they get attached really quickly. And so I noticed right off the bat, and I think this might have also been part of turning off, was that on that date, he was just really eager and, like, talking about the future like we had already been on 10 dates. And uh, part of that could have been what turned me off and maybe created the lack of chemistry, uh, but definitely also could have alerted me to the fact that he might not respond well to me rejecting him. Yeah. This was someone I met on, I want to say, maybe Plenty of Fish. Oh, <laughs> nothing against Plenty of Fish. So that says anything to you. You didn't see any opportunity for this going anywhere, but you mentioned red flags being signs of a potential abuser and that you've been in abusive relationships before. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So the big one that I talk about when I say I've been in a, an abusive relationship. So what I mentioned that was a red flag about that previous date was that uh, the intensity of it and like sort of this eagerness. And uh, that was actually something that I learned after I got out of my abusive relationship through support groups and 
therapy that people who uh, tend to be abusers come on really, really strong at the beginning. So that relationship that I was in, uh, we met and we basically hung out every single day from the day that we met. Um, and we moved in together three months into the relationship and everybody was like, what? Like you guys can't possibly be ready to move in together. Um, but you know, I was head over heels because the intensity of it also is the draw. You know, you get really caught up in the fact that, wow, this person feels this strongly about me. So it must be, you know, it must be destined. We must be, he must be the one. Um, I also was like 25 at the time, so <laughs> not necessarily the brightest about what I wanted and needed at that time. Uh, so we moved in together three months in, and within a week of moving in together, he was like, I feel like you love me more than I love you. Whoa! And uh, that led to a breakup. And uh, and this was before any of the, the real abuse had happened. That led to a breakup, and then we had just signed a year-long lease. So we were sort of de- debating who would stay there, who would leave, and I had the money in the relationship. Um, and so I was like, well, I don't want to kick you out on your ass so you can stay. So we sort of had this, like, you know, not really platonic. We were still intimate, but he was living there but we weren't together situation and over the course of that first month of living together I was like I he's out every single night he never comes and stays home I have this feeling that he's seeing other people um and uh and then I thought about it to myself and I was like well you know if I wanted to see other people I guess I could too um so I went out with some friends one night and sort of like reacquainted with uh, an old like friend of benefits situation and I ended up staying with that friend that night, and I didn't expect to come home in the morning and see him there because he hadn't stayed. Um, sorry, my my now ex had not stayed at our apartment um, at all. So I expected to come home at you know four o'clock in the morning, and nobody was going to be home. And of course, it's the one time he was home, and uh, and he was also drunk, and you know it was like, where were you? And uh, I am not one to lie. I, I don't have that in me, like, to come up with some false story on the spot. And uh, so I just was like, no, I was on a date, or I forget what, how I worded it. And then immediately he just started, like, like swinging at me. And, uh, you know, that was the first of several incidents, because once that happened, um, he did it, and then was, like, super, super apologetic afterwards, and crying, and just, like, I'm sorry, I don't know came from, I don't know why I did that, um, and, you know, they always say with abusive relationships, the good is really, really good, and the bad is really, really bad, so sometimes you get caught up because the good is so good, and so his, his apology was, like, also, like, I'm gonna buy you this thing, and I'm gonna do this for you, and I'm gonna cater to your every whim, because he felt like he had to make it up to me, and, uh, so that, we had this push and pull dynamic for, um, it was maybe about three more months where it would get really, really, really good. And then I would, you know, maybe go out one night with friends, not doing anything with anybody. And he would just make assumptions and it would turn into something physical. Uh, and so that went on for about three months. And then the, the very last time that we were together, uh, that I actually saw him face to face besides court after that was that uh, he, I was at a parent's house, and um, 
he called me and was like, can we talk? And so I came outside and he was like, can we sit in the car and talk? And I was like, yeah, I guess we can sit in the car and talk. Um, and I get in the passenger seat of the car and he just takes off and takes me basically back to our apartment. And that was probably the worst of the abuse. I don't even remember how I actually got out the door because he wasn't letting me go anywhere. And when I did end up leaving, I immediately called a friend to come pick me up. And then when I got to that friend's house, they were like, you're calling your parents. And I called my parents. And then it was this whole, obviously, once my parents knew that this was happening, then, you know, we, there was a restraining order and there was court and there was all this stuff. Um, he ended up getting bailed out by a girlfriend at the time, which I didn't know about. And they are now married and have a child. <laughs> um, so, you know, he got he got off, like, you know, with a slap on the wrist. He, uh, I think he had to pay me some money in restitution because he had damaged my property. But other than that, it's like some community service and some, like, classes that he had to take about anger management or something like that. But that was that's all he got for it. And... You know, and I had to walk away and then deal with this the rest of my life. <laughs> so, I and correct me, and I apologize in advance if I'm asking any inappropriate questions here, but when the abuse took place the first time, can I ask you why didn't you talk to a friend when that happened? Or was it just the highs and the lows that you spoke of? It's like, oh, he really loves me. He won't do it again. Yeah, well, part of that is you're a little bit in shock when someone abuses you for the first time. You're like, there's, I didn't see that in this person because you also, again, you saw the intensity of how good they are. And so you're like, they must not have meant to do that. You know, you want to see the best in people. And so immediately after that first time, when he was super apologetic and he was crying, I was like, well, if I tell somebody that he did this, they're going to make me call the police and then he's going to get in trouble. And then like, there's no coming back from this. So if I, want to feel it out and see if this was like a one-time thing or you know and now I'm hearing myself say this and I'm like that's so dumb like a one-time thing is bad enough but um you know if you if I felt in that moment that I maybe wanted to see the relationship work I felt that if I told anybody then that were the chances of that happening okay and then after it happened again what was the new narrative um so what ends up happening is after that first time, uh, the the fact that he that the first time he beat me was because I had slept with somebody. Now at this point, I didn't know that he had been with anybody else. I just thought he might have, and so he used that against me every time after that. Well, you cheated, or you went off and slept with so and so, so you don't really love me, and you're you know you're a liar and you're a bad person. And the more that somebody tells you these things you start to feed into it so uh so i eventually got to a place where when he would go off on me whether it was verbal abuse or physical um that i felt like i had done something to initiate it okay all right i just wanted a little bit of insight there and it's because i know of people who are and have been in abusive relationships and you know, you can just kind of tell from the outside looking in, there were things that I would notice. But in hindsight, are there things that your family and friends would notice or would have noticed 
to pull you aside and ask you, hey, are you okay? And about the relationship? Uh, not that particular one, but I think the reason for that is because I kind of kept him to myself. I think when you know somebody is that kind of person, you don't really share them with other people. And they, and they in turn, don't want to share your relationship with other people because it enables them to kind of keep you to themselves. Mm-hmm. What do you think you needed while you were in the relationship in order to have either helped you get out of it or be stronger in the relationship to be like, hey, I'm not taking this shit? Like what, what support around you could you have used? Honestly, I think So this isn't something where you're attracted to particular traits of an abuser and then you kind of have to just keep your guard up from those traits. This is more about you loving yourself and having a higher perception of who you are in order to really just know that you're not going for any of that stuff. about physical abuse can we talk a little bit about the emotional abuse because it seems more covert
um, just like in general, a controlling type of personality, um, and then questioning your every move. So like I, uh, one of the emotionally abusive relationships I was in, so I had had uh, a boyfriend who was not emotionally abusive or physically, he was great. We were together for about two and a half years. He had been staying at my house. And when he, when we broke up, there were still some of his belongings here. And uh, when I had a new boyfriend, the one who was emotionally abusive, he uh, found things like in the medicine cabinet, like cologne and things like that. And even with all of my explanations, he would be like, you still love him and you know, all this stuff. And I was like, I swear to you, but then I, then I took it upon myself. I need to prove to him that I don't love this person anymore. And like, this is so stupid. Like there should be no reason not to trust me if I say, yo, we broke up. He left us stuff here. End of discussion. Mm -hmm. You mentioned like keeping tabs on one another. I feel like the questioning constantly highlights a red flag of insecurity and or clinginess. Whereas when both parties in the relationship are willing to just check in with one another or offer, hey, babe, I'm going to be at so and so at this place with this person at this time. You're welcome to come if you want. Um, or the other person just offering, okay, well, I'm just going to stay here tonight and play video games, for example. Like, that, to me, demonstrates a healthy element that shows a healthy relationship, whereas what what seems to be unhealthy is, like, the questioning, the I need to know, the, like, give me your information. Like, there's not, uh, there's not constant giving, and there's no equivalent exchange of it. Does that make sense? Yes, and actually what I'm finding now is, is more of an issue for me is that I now volunteer way too much information because I'm so used to being questioned that I'll be like, I'm going so and so south, but don't worry, we're going to be doing this. And, you know, and I'm like constantly checking because I feel like that's what somebody would want from me, which in a healthy relationship, they shouldn't need all of that information. Right. What are some other elements of emotional abuse? Because physical abuse is completely on the surface. And then emotional abuse is something that you don't you don't realize. Like, I didn't know how damaging emotional abuse could be until I've seen it firsthand, where a person is being isolated from every person in their lives to where they become completely dependent on this other person. And I almost feel like that's what happens before physical abuse and violence take place. Am I in the ballpark there or is it just yeah, absolutely. Um there man, if I think back on it, there were the, the emotional part is the stuff that sticks with you. You know, it's like it's not the the physical stuff. I still have a lot of PTSD or regarding the physical things like like actually my trainer uh, we uh, we tried to do boxing once and uh, you know he he told me some sequence and I was supposed to duck at some point and I didn't duck and he like lightly swung his hand and hit me in the face a little bit and it, we had like to end the session there because I was in tears um, so definitely some PTSD regarding the physical stuff but uh, the emotional stuff is what sticks with you and and even when I'm having a conversation with uh, with someone, with, with a man usually, and there's a disagreement, I get the same sensation in my body that I would have when I was having an argument with an abusive ex. Um, it, you know, it just comes from like, oh God, I'm being accused of something, and you know, now I have to like make up for it, and um, that's the stuff that, that really sticks with you, or like some of the other things that happen in previous relationships, and the, the physically abusive one in particular was that he would... Um, he would get the 
passwords to all my email accounts and like Facebook account, or I think it was MySpace at the time. Uh, he had access to my MySpace, and like so, I vented to a girlfriend about him or about something that happened, or if I talked about a guy I flirted with or something, it was like he knew about it. But rather than saying like you know, hey, I know you went out and flirted with this guy, he would be like, so did you see anybody tonight? You know, and just leave it like really open like that. And then I would go, well, I did. Does he know? He couldn't possibly know. You know, and you start to do all these like things in your head where you're circling around going like, what does he know? What doesn't he know? And at the end of the day, he already had all the information that was just trying to get it out of me. Mm -hmm. Um, It felt like I was constantly being tested and, you know, probed. And and I think that all the time now, like when I'm in relationships, I'm like, this is why I'm so brutally honest because I'm like, there you go. Yeah, but I can't get away with it. <laughs> wow. This is really enlightening for me because uh, I've been in relationships where we've kept tabs on one another. We needed to know what the other person was doing. There was this distrust and the need to know the passwords and text messages going through one another's phones and everything. And like in hindsight now, I realize how ridiculous that was and how um, the the insecurities that surrounded those actions and I know that I had a lot of work to do in order to get through that and so I want to know like what was your what was your healing process from this like you're talking about you have PTSD from it you've gone to therapy you've been in support groups and you really just needed to learn your own self-worth and that was kind of what helped you with being able to stay away from those situations altogether. So can you talk to us a little bit about that process? Yeah. So I think for me, there, it's been a long road because that was 2009. So we're talking, yeah, we're, I mean, we're 10 years later now um, and I still have work to do, but uh, the building myself up process has been the most valuable to me. Some of the building up for me has been on a physical level, like, like uh, owning my body type and you know owning um, what I look like and my physical appearance, um, that's been a really big thing for me. And that all kind of came about me starting to work with a trainer in the last couple of years. And not um, not because I like lost a bunch of weight, I did, but I've also gained it all back at certain times. But it was the taking the value off of that, taking the value off of needing to be smaller or bigger or what that means when I'm smaller or bigger all of those things. Um, So, you know, building myself up on a physical level and knowing that regardless of what I look like at any given time, I'm still attractive uh, because I don't think I felt bad about myself when I was in those abusive relationships. Um, And then developing my assertiveness, which is that's the biggest work in progress still, but um, just feeling brave enough to say when something doesn't feel right or something's not right. and actually, that came from having some friends who are on much more the assertive side. And I just sort of like watched them and um, tried to model some of my behavior after that. Um, actually, one good example is that I was at a hula. Uh, I'm a hula dancer, by the way. Um, so I was at a hula uh, competition, and we were just at a bar afterwards. And this guy came up to me in like he had like a cowboy hat on and he was like this older white guy and like came up to me and I was like dancing along with the music and he grabbed me by the face and tried to kiss me. And my, my best friend at the time was like, 
um, excuse me, and, uh, you know, swatted him away, and he was like, oh, sorry, you know, and um, after he left, my initial response was, like, to go back and listen to music. My best friend at the time was like, do you want me to go talk to the management of the, it was at a hotel bar, do you want me to go talk to the manager? And I was like, no, it's okay, it's okay. And she was like, I'm going to go talk to the manager, make sure he doesn't come back at the very least. And just watching her handle that situation, I was like, wow, I really was going to do nothing about that. Mm-hmm. You know? And um, so now now I'm working on those situations. And I had a recent incident where I went to one of those sort of like Magic Mike type of shows. And the same thing, the guy, one of the dancers, I, I told my girlfriends, I said, I don't want anybody giving me a lap dance. I do not want them on me. I don't want them touching me. Lock me in. Don't let them near me. Guy pushed my friends out of the way, came, got on my lap, and I just, I said, no, thank you, like, several times, and he kept going, and so after that was over, I filed a complaint with the management, and I, like, took care of that situation myself, and I was really proud of that, even though it doesn't seem like a big deal, it was a huge deal to me to, like, actually be able to say no and follow through when it, when my no wasn't yeah, I can imagine how empowering that is coming from a space of helplessness to neutrality to having done something or uh, being, a, I'm sorry, even before that, having seen your friend take up for you in the situation and then like finally take action for yourself. So now is that an ongoing thing for you where when you find yourself in uncomfortable situations, you're not only able to say no, but you're able to follow through with that no if needed rather than just fight or flight well it's, I guess it's not fight or flight it's more like a fight or flight or freeze I think that I want to be the peacemaker like I just don't want things to get volatile because I've been on that end of it so usually I'm just like oh it's fine nobody you know we won't talk about it, it didn't happen yeah um but yeah I think that doing that for myself or seeing my friend do it first then doing it for myself I saw that like yeah, people don't like it. Like, he was not happy when the management came and talked to him. And I'm sure that the guy at the, you know, the mail review was not happy when his manager called him out on it or whatever, however it was handled afterwards. Um, and I'm still okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still okay. They got in trouble, and I'm still okay, you know? And I think, I'm like, I don't want to be the bad guy all the time, but I'm like, wait, they were the bad guy. <laughs> Why mm-hmm. am I feeling this way, you know? And I think that that help has helped me in other situations after that, just handling the fact that I'm going to tell somebody something and it, maybe not they're not going to like it. But if it was something that I, you know, that was for my, my betterment, and I'm not, there was actually a podcast I was listening to where they were, where she was saying that there's a difference between being difficult and being toxic. When you're difficult, you maybe tell somebody something that, it could hurt their feelings, they're not going to like it, but you're saying it because it's for your betterment. But you're not saying it to hurt them, you know? And toxic people are saying it to, like, break you down. And so, you know, when I, when I tell somebody something, like, don't do that, or I didn't like that, or whatever, I'm not saying it to hurt their feelings. I'm, I'm saying it because it hurt my feelings, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that makes sense. And 
What's interesting to me the most here is that when you say no and you say it's not okay, the person feels like, the man feels like he can continue the behavior, but the minute another man or authoritative figure steps in, that's when they start to think about their actions. So there's almost like this complete disregard for women's bodies, women's no, women's um women just standing up for themselves until another man steps into the picture. And it's really fucked up that that's the kind of world that we live in. And it, for women to stick together, like you and your friend, your, your friend going up to, uh, the bar manager, the club manager and saying, Hey, that man dot, 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 like being able to stick up for one another is probably the best defense that I would say women have and having that support between one another, uh, and then allyship from men to call that shitty behavior out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it sucks because as a woman, you, like you said, you're not taken seriously when you file a complaint or you say, or just say no. Um, but then, you know, there's that line between assertiveness and aggressiveness. And then if you, if you come on stronger and like, you know, maybe you push them off or, you know, you have to take it further than that, then you're a bitch, you know, then you're, then, oh, man, like, she went crazy on me. Oh, my <laughs> you know? goodness. Yeah, and, like, you push somebody off, you're a bitch. But what happens when you start stabbing and tasing and macing people? Then what do you become? Like, I bet people learn a lesson then. <laughs> right, yeah, hopefully I never have to get to that point. <laughs> I hope not to. <laughs> In terms of that healing process, so after we're at this point now where you're empowered, you told someone no, and you took the next step and followed through, I guess I'm segueing into the body positivity portion of this because you said you got a personal trainer and you had to learn that how your body looked didn't define you. Like you removed the value of your worth around your body. Can you talk to us about that? Because I think that that's a really important element of what it means to be body positive, to accept and appreciate your body for what it does for you and understand that you can make it smaller, you can make it larger, you can make it more muscular, you can make it do things for you that you need it to do. Yeah, and I think what you just said about it doing things for you that you need it to do was the biggest thing for me was that, you know, uh, I grew up uh, being a ballet dancer and I'm five foot two and like, I sort of average between 125 to 135 pounds. So for someone who's 5 foot 2, that's not super skinny. But I'm not heavy by any means. But, um, you know, at, at when I was younger and going through puberty and, you know, probably like 120 pounds or maybe less than that, I was told I was fat. Or I was told nobody's going to want to see you in this costume or we don't have any costumes that will fit you. And uh, I grew up feeling that way about myself through my 20s, um, thinking I was sort of beneath every other woman who just happened to have a naturally smaller build. Um, you know, my, I'm much more, like, I guess you would say pear-shaped, so I have much more, like, hips and thighs and a booty, and that was always, like, a big no-no for ballet, because, like, you don't want to be bottom-heavy at all. You don't want to have bottom or top-heavy. You don't want to have anything that defines you as a woman on your body. Um, and so... Once I was able to start training and um, and focusing more on what my body was able to do versus what it looked like, um, that became the driving force for me. I was 
like, well, I want to lift more weight, or, you know, I want to be able to do that, um, that exercise in a shorter amount of time. Uh, so there, there were just so many other goals for my body that had nothing to do with weight loss. Um, and then I also did like a, like, uh, what was it? A month long, um, challenge where I did completely alter my diet, sort of the way like somebody would do for a fitness competition. And I got down to what was it, 113 pounds, which for me is like, my body doesn't like it. It's not its natural state in any way, shape or form. Um, but I did it. I, I can say I've been skinny. And it, like, there was no real value about that. It was just a different body for me. It looked, it looked good. I've looked good heavier. I've looked good smaller. Like it just didn't mean anything. Um, and, uh, and seeing that, that, that I could, uh, I did, I've done photo shoots at my smallest. I've done photo shoots at my, not necessarily largest, but like, you know, at a more comfortable weight and they're all great photos, you know? So, uh, just being able to still talk about myself as like a fit, a fit person in all of those bodies has been really cool for me. Um, yeah. All right. And how did your personal trainer or training help you outside of like you being able to see what your body can do? Was your trainer supportive at all? Or just like, Hey, you're doing a great job. Or did you have that, that, um, that support and motivation behind you for the same reason that you were beginning to be impressed with yourself? Yeah. My trainer's great. He was very, um, I would say like 90% of our sessions are for the, like the purpose of exercise and training. And then there's like a 10% and sometimes that's a whole session. Uh, Cause I've been training with him for almost three years now. Sometimes there is an entire session that's dedicated to talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and we might get a couple exercises then. And then afterwards we'll like sort of debriefing the like, do you feel like you didn't get anything out of this session today because we didn't exercise. And I'm like, no, 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 I needed that. I, I just needed to get all this out, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things about having a, a trainer versus work, cause I, I had worked out on my own for years. I mean, cause like I said, I was constantly trying to modify my body and I was going on every crash diet in the book and, I, and all these things. And, uh, you know, one of the benefits to having a trainer was that I, I never would have pushed myself as hard as he pushed. And I mean, on a physical level, there are things that I was terrified of doing, um, and now I'm looking back on those times. Like, I, when I first started training with him, I would not do a box jump because yeah. I had a, I suffered a knee injury, and I was like, nope, not jumping that high. And I think I've done like at least like 30 inches or higher. Um, and, uh, and I've jumped over several things that are probably higher than that. And now my uh, my phrase when he gives me an exercise that seems to be too challenging is I'll say hang on, I'm psyching myself up so I can do this. Or like, hang on, I need a second to to uh, mentally prepare. I always say, I'm going to do it, just give me a second, you know, mm-hmm. versus like, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah. That's never enough. It's very yeah. important how we talk to ourselves too. So it's good that you were able to change the narrative from I can't do that to hold on, give me a second to hype myself up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that has, carried over into like all these aspects of my life where um there's not a whole lot of I can't anymore there's not a whole lot of I don't think that that's for me or that I can that I'm capable of that a lot of my self-narrative now is well let me think about how I can do that 
I think a lot of things in my life that I've achieved in the last couple of years have been uh, me, me approaching them by saying, like, I may not have all the tools to do this right now, or I may not know how, but I'm going to do it eventually. Just give me a second to figure it out. I like that. Yeah. All right. So that concludes everything that I wanted us to cover. Is yeah. there anything else that you want to leave us with? Um, I think one of the things that I have talked a lot about in some of my social media and, uh, that I want to get across is that you, you don't need to do everything all at one time. (laughs) You know, like you don't need to get from A to B tomorrow, today, uh, doing a little bit to start is fine you'll get there eventually and being patient with yourself to get to an outcome or whether it's being, uh, you know, loving your body. Like that's one thing, you know, obviously that I've spent a lot of time on and I'm not going to say that I'm hundred percent there all the time. Um, but any self acceptance doesn't come overnight. Start, like we said, like start reframing the way that you talk about yourself or the way that you talk about what you can and can't do. Um, what you think you can and can't do in general make little changes little adjustments and stop expecting the results that happen tomorrow um i think that that is out of everything that i have gathered over the last number of years that has been the biggest takeaway for me was just to like do a little now see how that feels and then proceed (laughs) yeah and just to add to that you know you don't always have to get directly from A to B, there are several letters in the alphabet. You can go from point A to point F and understand that you can get to B, C, D, and E first. So if you need to break things down a little bit more in order to make smaller, more simple, uh, easily attainable steps in the process along the way, then do that. Just be gentle with yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also know that sometimes you're going to fail and, you know, Actually, another podcast I was listening to earlier today, they were talking about how so many people give up after, like, the first failed attempt at something, and we all want to be, like, a master at something before we've even, like, gotten started yet, and, like, you know, half the time, you're going to try something, you're going to try one aspect of something, and it's not going to work out quite right, and you're going to have to jump to a different letter of the alphabet, you know, it may not be the next one in line, but, you know, you're not always going to be successful on your first try with most things. And just to, like, be gentle with yourself because we're human, you know, and nobody, if you're that lucky to go from A to Z, good for you. (laughs) Thank you so much, Emily. And um, you mentioned your social media. How can people find you? Yeah, so my Instagram is healthyhulagirl, no underscores, no nothing fancy. Um, I'm also, I just recently started an apparel line that's related to um, health and wellness, body positivity, self-love, and then also hula because I'm a hula dancer. Um, and so there's designs that are kind of more fitness related, some that are a little bit more Hawaiian. So that's healthy hula, healthy hula girl apparel on Instagram. And then uh, Facebook, same thing, healthy hula girl. But those are three separate words. <laughs> and then healthy hula girl apparel on Facebook. Thank you. 
That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People, the intentionally inclusive hub of sex-positive resources. Please like, rate, review, and share this podcast so that you can help us get promoted by the podcast companies that promote the podcast and help us just get this out there to people who need these resources. If you like this episode, just share it with somebody. Let us know what you think. Go and follow Emily on social media, Healthy Hula Girl, Healthy Hula Girl Apparel, and Healthy Hula Girl on Facebook. Till next time, stay sex positive.